or? So um, this is Jacob Proctor um, in Brooklyn, New York on June 30th, 2020, um, interviewing David Velasco, uh, who is uh, in Manhattan um, for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Art Pandemic Project. So thank you for speaking with me, David. And I guess the first question is just, how are you? I mean, how have the last few months been for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, Jacob. That's a wild question. I um, Seems like it should be so easy to answer, but I don't know how to answer. I'm, well, first of all, I'm, you know, uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of Artform magazine. Um, I've been responsible for uh, shepherding the magazine through the past few months, and that's been both um, an incredible blessing and also you know, an immense challenge. Um, but right now, how am I doing? I'm, you know, I'm parked on the corner of Prince and Sullivan uh, in front of a fire hydrant. Um, uh, I've been staying in Soho in a friend's apartment through most of the pandemic, driving back and forth between my boyfriend, um, Ryan McNamara's apartment in Williamsburg and here. Um, um, and I'm actually totally exhausted because um, you know, despite the fact that, or not, not despite, but uh, it's been a relentless few months. Um, I think it's, um, but last night in particular, uh, I was out very late um, at um, City Hall Park uh, where um, groups have set up uh, an occupation to put pressure on um, on the city to defund the NYPD by at least one billion dollars, um, <clears throat> and I went with um, some friends, um, uh, Nan Golden and um, her uh, uh, friend Thora Simpson, who she's been photographing through the pandemic, and a couple other friends, and we we went and. Um, were there until maybe two in the morning or so, and then kind of got a sense that maybe um, <clears throat> we were more useful um, elsewhere or awake at least the next day. So we, I drove them home um, uh, to various parts of the city and got back home around four. So um, I'm a little bit less, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I feel I feel I feel very inarticulate at the moment, which is it's you know it's not I don't feel like I'm in my prime moment to be doing a uh, an interview, but at the same time, it's actually probably um, you know a, a unique moment to catch me in it, and, and um, because I feel like I'm very in the thick of things. Yeah, and how did I mean? I'm curious from your perspective, uh, you know both personally and professionally, how, whether, 
what the shift was like from this moment of kind of just dealing with COVID, which was its own major crisis, to now, as you said, like dealing with a much larger, you know, a whole, or a whole other social uh, sense of, of social crisis. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's very strange and I have a particular position within all of this, one that I am still trying to reflect on. I'm both uh, a relatively protected cultural figure, um, you know, in New York. And so the experience of COVID and quarantine was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it, I don't think it, you know, well, whatever, you want my unique perspective. You don't want, this is not meant to be something that speaks to <laughs> um, the perspective of others, but I do worry sometimes that a lot of the stories captured are uh, people who are able to weather the uh, um, COVID in a, you know, more easily. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I don't want that, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't, I think it's important that there's obviously other stories too. Um, but you know that I, my, my experience of it was strange because I, you know, if I remember it, the lockdown happened not so long after the armory show, maybe a week or two after the armory show in New York. And I remember feeling like it was kind of insane that we were even doing an art fair in the middle of Manhattan when um, it seemed so clear that there was going to be some kind of, that, that it, it seemed so clear that it was not a good idea to be having international groups mixing in close proximity without any sort of uh, protocols or guidance. Uh, uh, but that was the case in New York um, in early March that we were, um, that there was, there was a sense that, you know, there were, there was problems elsewhere, but it would never happen here. So, you know, very quickly that all shifted. And, you know, I can't remember precise dates off the top of my head, you know, but I will say I actually had, had this strange, professionally it was uh, unusual because I was, you know, my first, my first instinct as a magazine editor is to, is to think, well, there's actually no better time to be a magazine editor than a time of shift and crisis because you want to actually be able to participate in these conversations in meaningful ways and you have a really great um, you know, platform and set of resources to deal with it. So I felt sort of useful for a moment, which is nice. <laughs> in the sense that I was, in a sense that I, I knew that, you know, we had to turn our attention to um, how the art world was changing, how art might change in the moment, how people were reflecting on these changes. And, um, you know, I got to be there, you know. So, you know, my job, which is typically very social, um, there's lots of social obligations. Any given night of the week, 
before the pandemic, I would have had multiple obligations, you know, to attend to. So I would have gone to several openings, several dinners, several, you know, drinks with writers. I mean, it would have just, it would have been an endless cascade of things that I felt like I had to do for my job. Um, and suddenly that, that I was relieved of that. And that I actually experienced that um, at first as real release. Um, and, and release from that sense that I was, also that I was missing something somewhere, you know, it was like, it's one thing to stay at home and not go out, but then to feel like, oh, I should be in the mix here or there just to, just to know what's happening and be doing my job properly. I should be in on these conversations. I no longer felt like that. And it was, it was actually joyous, um, which is, I think, strange. I think I was the only person whose mood improved um, especially in the early days of pan the pandemic, just because I felt the lifting of this great pressure. Um, but at the same time, I also had a job to do. And so I, I did have something to focus my attention, which was I had to figure out very quickly what to do with the magazine to, um, to be a good index of the moment and also to encourage thinking about it. Um, the first thing I did was I, I started writing the people I know and trust and care about you know lots of writers and artists and just that's my immediate instinct um and also my editors who I work with and you know we just uh, through general quick emails uh you know I Paul who's a um very great thinker based in Paris um wrote me to say that he had he contracted COVID and he was actually very sick. And he was the first person that I spoke with who had, who had it and, or, or who knew they had it, who was definitely experiencing it as a real illness. So not just, a, you know, I've had other friends who had it, who, you know, they didn't even know they had it or it was very quick and light, but Paul was seriously ill. And we kept in touch. And at a certain point when he got better, I just said, you know, I don't want to put undue pressure on, but I know that also this could be an opportunity for you to reflect. And so if there's anything you'd like to say, let me know. And he ended up um, sending several texts um, over the course of the next couple months, some longer, some shorter. Um, one of which learning from the virus appears in the May, June issue. It's sort of a, a key essay in the package for that issue and the another one um another longer one is actually in the july august issue which is set to go online to, tonight <clears throat> and that's about revolution um and so you know it was that was that was exciting to me to to get to prompt and witness these people I really admire. I remember sitting also early on before we really understood what we should be doing, <laughs> uh, but like right on the verge of the lockdown, I remember sitting in my friend um, uh, Alex Sagade's apartment and he was very anxious and he also had a comic um, that he'd produced 
called The Context, which was about to be published by Primary Information. And he thought, what is this, you know, what does this mean? Like, am I, is this, you know, are things still getting printed even? You know, like he was very, he didn't really understand, like, as none of us did, what, how this would affect the things he'd been working on. And, you know, he put several years into making this, um, this kind of queer fabulous universe that he was excited to have in the world. Um, and, you know, it was probably one in the morning, we were watching bad TV um, with some other friends. And I, I just was, I just asked him, how quick can you make pages? You know, and he said, well, now I'm actually very good at it. I can make a comic page in, you know, a few days or a week or so, you know, depending. And I said, and I was like, why don't you just do four pages about the pandemic or like what you're, what you're going through from this moment. And, you know, he did, and they were also in that issue, and it's it's beautiful. Um, so I, I felt like I had purpose. Um, I was I said, there's a lot of people who suddenly whose lives have been disrupted. Um, I can give them an occasion to do something, uh, a reason to, um, you know, think about this from another angle, or you know, to feel like they're. Um, doing some kind of work and I used that opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that issue, the, the May-June issue, which is also, well, uh, the May-June issue I think is, is one of the most beautiful um, issues that I've had the pleasure of working on. It's, I, it's really, um, it feels like uh, something that, um, feels like a chorus of um, many voices I wanted to hear from coming together in the moment. It feels like a magazine, what a magazine should be. And uh, that was incredible. Um, uh, you know, Jasper John sent us a fragment of something he was working on, um, which also felt kind of uh, special. Um, you know, we had, you know, whatever. I, I could talk endlessly about the individual texts and projects and things that um, emerged and why I'm so happy about all of them, you know, but, you know, it's, that would probably be a whole other um, hour, but then, um, you know, but it, it took a lot out of us to do that issue. And also, you know, normally we would do a May issue and then a summer issue and take a break. This time, because of the pandemic, because suddenly we were all working, you know, we were, we, that was all developed remotely. It was the first time that the art form staff, which is fairly huge, you know, it's like 20, it's like almost 20 editors. Um, and, you know, we were trying to put something together. We're used to putting something together in an office, seeing each other all the time in conversation. And we suddenly we're doing it from our homes and it's, it's it was an enormous, transition. Also, we dropped a lot of material. There was a lot of things that we had planned to publish that we didn't because it didn't seem relevant anymore. Um, so we had to, and we had to commission all these new things. We had to really shift gears. Um, and so it was, it, it took a huge toll um, in its way too. I think we were all really thoroughly exhausted after that. And then we had to suddenly imagine what um, the next issue would be like this which is now the July-August issue. And 
you know, that, the closing week for that issue was the week of the curfew in New York. Um, so, you know, which of course didn't impact us in terms of our workload, but it impacted us in terms of what I wanted to see in the issue. You know, so I, I, um, uh, near the end of, um, right after the May June issue came out, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think when this was, I took a road trip. I, I, like many people, I think I snapped. Um, I had no idea I, I, you know, I would be and I even doing here, you know, I'm just another body in the city, another potential vector for disease. It's, it's thinking of yourself as a vector for disease. That's, that's been a huge transition. Like, I have never been afraid of getting COVID because of what, would, what it would do to me. You know, that uh, I felt, you know, probably stupidly confident that I would experience it as, um, at worst, like a bad flu. You know, maybe I would be hospitalized, maybe something terrible would happen, but I, that wasn't my fear, you know, and my fear was that I might spread it to other people. I might get it and unknowingly spread it to other people, which is, and which is a strange shift in thinking, I think, um, as just a subject in the world. Um, you know, I thought at the time. David? The global epicenter of, yeah. Uh, you dropped it out for a second. I'm not me? sure. We're... I lost you for about the last minute. It was very, very garbled. It could be bad internet. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Bad uh, internet, of course, is also internet. also a, a feature of life now. Yes. Totally. Well, I'm I'm doing this on on my on where did I off? Um, I lost you. You had just said that you were um, had that you had taken a road trip. Got it. So, um, so I was saying that I one of the strange things about um, living in the epicenter of a global pandemic is that I stopped being afraid for myself. I never was afraid, and I remain unafraid of getting COVID for my own health. I I become afraid of becoming a vector. Um, you know, so being another body and thinking of myself as another body within bodies has, you know, I have this, I've developed like a certain kind of apperception of um, my relationship to other bodies and what that could mean. Um, and, you know, all, which has also been in some ways guided by my experience of um, the AIDS crisis, being a gay man who, you know, grew up in the, you know, uh, in a very significant moment for uh, whatever. That fucked me up, you know, a lot. But, I, but it also made me feel confident that I could digest and understand science and know when I was acting responsibly and when I wasn't. At this yeah. moment, I, I had like a, I just couldn't be in the city anymore. I, and a friend invited me. Um, 
to their house um, down in Florida, actually. And I got in the car with um, my boyfriend and my dog, and we drove to Florida for, um, uh, you know, about 10 days. And um, then we came back, and as we came back, news of George Floyd's murder had been, um, you know, was just starting to reach us. It was, it was the Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. And um, so as soon as I landed in New York, basically, there was a protest um, at Barclays, Barclays Center on the Friday before the riots. And, um, you know, Ryan and I went to that protest that Friday. I don't know if it was the first one. I think there had actually been another one on Thursday night. I can't remember the whole order. Um, but we went to that protest and it felt like there was something happening. Um, it felt like, you know, people were fed up. It also was the first time many of us had seen people. Um, I hadn't seen anyone really out in the world that I knew for months. And so suddenly we were out and I was seeing friends, you know, from a distance and masked, but I was seeing them. <clears throat> and the next day, I remember there was a protest scheduled <clears throat> at, uh, at Union Square. And I, um, <clears throat> it started, I think, at seven or eight. I ended up driving to the city around 10 or 10.30. And um, Ryan and I parked and walked up and we tried to get close and we realized that there was no way we were gonna get to Union Square. <clears throat> that there was like phalanxes of police everywhere. And, and moreover, it was, there was like, uh, you know, many, 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 many cop cars on fire. Um, and, you know, it, it was like, it was a legitimate riot. It was, um, and while I was there, we, we reached out, we, we started, you know, we were texting with a lot of friends. I had other friends who were there and um, my friends, uh, uh, Sarah Nicole Prickett and Nicole Eisenman <clears throat> drove in to meet us. <clears throat> and we just, we were there to sort of, to witness. And again, it's a strange sense in, a, in the same way that like, I think, uh, you know, I have a, a newfound sense of my body as a potential vector. I also have a more keenly developed sense of my body as a potentially useful body if there is police violence. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a man, I'm very, I'm relatively fit. I'm uh, brown, but I, you know, I like can sometimes, I, I don't think I'm, you know, I'm like relatively light skinned, I think. Uh, and that means that, you know, I feel a little bit more um, obligation to, <clears throat> I don't know, to be um, at some of these protests, especially as they get, um, 
as they escalate, as, as the police escalate them, to, to be a potential barrier. Um, and that's, that's a new, uh, that's just something that, you know, I, I think I've had a vague sense of before, but is, that's, that's calcified in recent weeks. But so, yeah. you know, that night was very strange because I, I felt on the one hand like I was just an observer. I was like, why am I here? I'm just witnessing this. I don't really, I'm not here to actually break windows or to actually fight the police or set things on fire, but maybe I can be here in a meaningful way if I listen and I can tell where I'm useful. Um, and, yeah. you know, I don't know that I ever, you know, I don't know if I was or wasn't useful. I, it was certainly, I'm glad I was there for it. Um, because it was just an unusual experience and it was unusual partly because you also got to see firsthand the way in which the police weren't there to protect anyone. You know, they were there in fact to, um, make things worse and it, it's, it, it's, you know, any, it, it was, it was a sort of radicalizing experience, I'd say, but yeah. Well, that's, uh, can you hear me, by the way? Now it's raining. Yeah, but I was actually going to say, I think that's a perfect, I mean, given our time constraint, I think that's actually oh, a yeah. perfect uh, place um, to end. Yeah, I mean, it's really, 